Hi, everybody. Welcome to Fuel Radio and my conversation with David Hayward, the famous uh, naked pastor. We'll ask him a little bit about that name in a minute. I'm sure, he gets, I'm sure you get asked all the time, eh, David? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I want to read your introduction because you have... Um, You've done a lot of study, and you you have quite a background. You have a master's degree in theological studies from Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, mm-hmm. a diploma in religious studies and ministry from McGill University in Montreal, mm-hmm. and a diploma teaching from, or a diploma in university teaching from the University of New Brunswick. And mm-hmm. you served as a pastor for thirty years, mm-hmm. and left ministry in twenty ten. Right. <laughs> and then your introduction says. Or your about page. I'm reading from your about page on your website. Like yeah. all graffiti artists, Naked Pastor uses words and images to challenge the status quo and differ and offer hope for those who struggle and suffer under it. And then you have mm-hmm. a number of different things going as well. You're you're doing mm-hmm. it sounds like you're doing some coaching mm-hmm. for people who long for spiritual freedom and mm-hmm. independence. And I, I gotta tell you, David, when I the, the thing that made me want to talk to you. <laughs> I want to okay. go back. I'm going to go back and I want to talk here, talk about your journey, but yeah, was just when you started to talk about um, questioning your beliefs. And so I right. want to, I want to get to that yeah. eventually. I, I love your, your perspective on that, but we'll, we'll get to that yeah, okay. in a sec. Cool. <laughs> a question I like to ask everybody, particularly when we're sort of having, for lack of a better term, a religious dialogue, a religious yeah. conversation right. is, is about their background and, and like, what was life growing up for you? And particularly what were your religious or spiritual inf- influences as a child, as a child? <laughs> well, first of all, Rod, thanks for having me on the show and uh, happy welcome. to be here and hello everyone. Yeah, um, my pleasure. Uh, yeah, I call myself my own ecumenical movement because um, I've been, <laughs> I've been everywhere. I mean, I was born Anglican, baptized as a baby uh, in the Anglican church. And then we drifted around to different churches, whatever was convenient. We weren't committed to any one denomination. Hmm. Um, But then when I was a teenager, I got born again in a Baptist youth group. And my parents came along. And then shortly thereafter, we switched to a Pentecostal church, Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. And then um, from there, I went to Pentecostal Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, from Canada. That's where I met my wife, who's from Alabama, who was holiness uh, Pentecostal. And um, then when I graduated from there, we got married. Then we moved to Boston, where I went to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And then when I was there, my theology went through some changes, and um, I couldn't find a job. Um, I ended up accepting a job in a Presbyterian church in Charlottetown, uh, PEI. and um, I just make a long story short, I ended up, um, even though I wanted to go into um, scholasticism, I wanted to be a a, a professor um, of New Testament. Um, I ended up in the ministry route and the ministry track, and I ended up getting ordained in the Presbyterian Church in Canada and uh, serving there for many years. And then eventually, left that and ended up in the Vineyard Church in Canada as a pastor. And that's where I serve for the rest of my ministry uh, in local churches. And so I have a real, a real mixture. I've been around and uh, including, 
including Roman Catholic and other, <laughs> other influences. You know, I have spiritual directors who are Roman Catholic nuns and monks and so on. So oh, sure. I have a very wide, diverse, you know, range of influence in my life. And, mm. you know, I appreciate them all. But yeah, yeah. That's, that's where I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, do you still go for spiritual direction? Is that something that you participate in? And- um, now and then. Now and uh, then. Not on a regular basis like I used to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, spiritual direction for me was, uh, especially my first spiritual director, she was a Roman Catholic nun, mm. a contemplative nun, and a profound impact on my life. And I highly recommend, if you can find a good spiritual director, they're worth their weight in gold. Yeah. And um, yeah, she really helped me through one of my major spiritual crises and and transitions in my life Mm -hmm. where I moved from um, being a a pretty uh, type A kind of aggressive um, um, ministry type uh, person to becoming more um, contemplative and interested in meditation and uh, the deeper um, spiritual aspects of mm. Christianity, yeah. including, you know, getting involved with like, it began with like Henry now and yeah. who, who led yeah. me to Thomas Merton, who led yeah. me to, you know, others. So, yeah. yeah. I can totally relate to that about, about how old were you when that contemplative movement started to happen? Cause I, I kind of have a theory. I just think okay. that and it's not my own, obviously, but the older we get, I think the more contemplative we get, we do start out, maybe a lot of us start out as that type A aggressive kind of Christian or whatever. But as we go along, it kind of loses its appeal yeah. or whatever. And we just sort of naturally, I think it comes with aging. So how old were you when that started to happen? Well, I, actually, I was pretty young. How were you? I was about 25. Okay. Um, I, I had a, I had a, if you have a moment, I can tell you the story that provoked it. I have a moment. I'd love to hear okay. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, was, I was serving in a Presbyterian church uh, in Charlottetown, the largest in Canada at that time. I don't know if it still is or not. Mm-hmm. And um, I was the assistant to the minister. And I was in charge of the uh, food, uh, handing out food to street people who came in off the street. And the church is right downtown. And it was a very wintry day. Uh, I was working um, in my office and the secretary receptionist said, there's a man here. He's scaring me. He's off the street. And so I went out and I was in a hurry to get home because there was a storm warning Mm -hmm. coming, uh, a storm warning in effect. And I needed to get home. It was the weekend and um, it was Friday and I wanted to get out. And this street guy comes in and wants food. And um, I I'm like, you come back. I could tell he'd been drinking or whatever. Um, I said, you come back sober and we'll talk business. And I was escorting him out the door and he kept saying, Oh, you wouldn't please give a poor guy some food. And I just kind of heartlessly just escorted him out the door. And as he was walking down the steps, this was before I was ordained. Okay. I was, I was an an assistant. I was working towards my ordination and uh, he looked up from the steps, snow falling and he said, you'll never be a minister the way you treated me today. And I lost it. I, it, it just like it, he just exposed my hypocrisy and my heartlessness. And uh, I drove home just bawling. My wife was like, what's wrong? And, and I was just like, I lost, I just lost it. And 
uh, I knew I was a, I was just a mess. I, I just knew I was useless. And I, mm. and he was right. I didn't deserve to be a minister the way I treated that guy. Mm. And, um, uh, I remembered, oh, oh, I got a call from a guy, a friend of mine from Boston area. We'd be, been friends when I was in seminary. I got a call from him. Dave, you wouldn't believe what just happened. And I said, what? He said, I went to this talk tonight. And it's by this guy named Henry Nowen. And he was talking about his trip to Central America and all this stuff. And I'm going, Henry Nowen, Henry Nowen. And it was ringing a bell. And I said, uh, after we hung up, I said, honey, he was mentioning Henry Nowen. And for some reason that rings a bell. He says, oh, one of your friends in seminary who he went the spiritual direction route in seminary and was into contemplative stuff and all that. For my graduation gift, he gave me a book by Henry Nowen called Reaching Out. And I, I I was into biblical studies and Greek and Hebrew, and I thought that was all nonsense. And I just sort of put it away and and thought it was all silly. And she said, I think he gave you a book by Henry Nowen. And so I, I went through all my old storage boxes and I found this book and I read it and it, it, it was the key I needed. And that's how my life changed. Fortunately, we were snowbound for the weekend. I didn't have to do church uh, and I could just like lick my wounds, <laughs> you know, and uh, get back on track. And and that's when I started seeking for a uh, spiritual director and found one in a local monastery. So, yeah. Oh, neat. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I, I've, I've spoken to so many people who their contemplative journeys kind of st started very similar to yours. Like Henry Nowen was sort of the introduction and then yeah. they would, and they started to look for some other, other he's a books. gateway drug. He's a gateway <laughs> drug for mysticism. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I think somehow, I mean, he takes those deeply spiritual um, concepts and makes them sort of palatable for people, mm. I think, and, and digestible for people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he actually, uh, he talks a lot in there about Thomas Merton. And yes. uh, that's when I, you know, read the seven story mountain. Okay. Um, and then, you know, then, then it was just a snowball just yeah. rolling out of control and uh, it was, it was profound and beautiful. So I'm very grateful for that yeah. moment, even though I treated that guy like, you know, terribly, <laughs> forgive me, horrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, in your bio, it says that you um, left the ministry in 2010. Can you just describe the circumstances around that was was your no it was too painful no I can't, I can't. <laughs> naked pastor taking off so much that you decided yeah. to do or, or what was what were the circumstances no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah so naked pastor uh, i should explain that maybe um, sure go for uh, it and I, I wanted to ask you are you wearing pants yeah. i totally am yeah but i'm not going to stand up but i am totally wearing either pants. way i'm good with it but i just wanted <laughs> to know <laughs> yeah so i need to ask you then are you no. I am, yes, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I was a pastor when I I bought the name NakedPastor.com mm. uh, of a local church. It was about two thousand five. I won an auction. Uh, I I got the name, and that was at the time when the naked chef and the naked archaeologist and all that was kind of cool. Okay, because it, it kind of meant back to the raw, back to the essential. Yeah, no no adornments. Right, uh, you know just real and raw and transparent and honest and open. And, and so I wanted people to see, I was going to blog the real nitty gritty of the pastor's life. 
So that included all my ups and downs, my triumphs, my defeats, my failures, my struggles, my doubts, my questions, all that stuff. I was just going to let people look behind the curtain and see what was really going on in the land of Oz. And um, so that's how, that's what naked pasture means. It's, it's pretty PG, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, so that, that's what it's about. It's, it's the life of the pastor. Now, when I left the ministry in 2010, I struggled, should I keep the name or not? But a lot of people feel either it's, I, I'm a, a pastor without his church on, or um, I'm, uh, I'm kind of doing online kind of, uh, nomadic, uh, you know, um, independent kind of, uh, you know, pastoring online, which in a sense, I think I'm doing, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not ordained by anybody right now. Okay. But, uh, yeah. So in 2000 and, um, around 2009, um, Naked Pastor uh, started to get more and more well-known. Up to that point, you know, there were, I had some fans and f- some following, but n- nobody locally or in my own congregation read my blog. They're like, we have to listen to you every Sunday. Why would we want to read your blog? <laughs> so, um, but then it started getting more and more popular and people were starting to notice some of my cartoons and some of the things I was saying, uh, which aren't, sometimes very orthodox and um you know i color outside the lines and um and so some people were like um informing some people in my congregation are you aware your pastor what's going on with your pastor <laughs> right now <laughs> and and then you know the vineyard was hearing about it getting letters do you have a fox in the vineyard and you know stuff like that and i was getting calls from other vineyard pastors and leaders and people suggesting I run my blog through some authorities that approved it first. And I knew my time was up. I just knew, you know, um, that I didn't have long. And uh, sure enough, within the year, uh, it it became very evident that my um, equity with the congregation, although we were all cool, but we kind of came into an agreement that we were no longer really compatible theologically and that I was moving in a direction that um, they weren't used to or comfortable with. So it was an amicable divorce, let's mm. put it that way. And, uh, you know, even though it turned out painful, uh, we're mm. friends with many um from that church and so on now, but, uh, it was, it was a painful departure and it took a lot of adjustment on my part. You know, it was a huge transition for me because I'd always been a pastor. So, um, you know, it, it was a while to find my balance, but I did. Yeah. What was the biggest theological difference? Like what was the, what was the main issue? Well, one of my big struggles, uh, and, um, well, there's lots, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I, I, my big struggle was with what I felt was the universality of God's love mm. and the total global comprehensiveness of grace. I mean, I don't know who your listeners are or whatever, but whether or not you believe in God, if you do believe in God, 
mm-hmm. then I think God ought to be all loving and mm-hmm. all means all and grace covers all and all are included. And I, you know, theologically, whether you want to call that universalism or whatever you want to call that, I don't know. And I don't really care how you label that. It's just that I struggled with me feeling like God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself, Mm. but the church being quite exclusive and quite exact on who was in and who was out. I struggled with that, that uh, contrast. That was always a very, very uh, difficult conflict for me. Mm. I wrestled with that, wrestled with that. And so the way that would manifest itself is, um, in the church's treatment of the poor, the marginalized, or LGBTQ people, or you know, um, refugees, or whatever, like a, a people of different religions, or atheists, or whatever, I had a problem with the church's treatment of people who didn't seem to fit what they thought uh, um, qualified you for grace and and for love. Uh, and so I, I had, that was my biggest, biggest issue. And I think um, the church's uh, sense of exclusivity, when it's threatened, then, you know, you're going to suffer some consequences, I think. And I, and I did what, you know, I, I totally get it. I totally understand. Um, I, I, I totally understand why that all happened, but that was what my major conflict was. So, you know, when you start questioning um, the exclusivity of the church, um, when you start saying that LGBTQ people should be included, um, when you start or um, should not be excluded, um, <clears throat> excuse me, when you start um, talking about the legitimacy of and the, the identity and the validity and the dignity of poor people um, or, you know, um, anything, uh, then it when 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 uh, uh, a group starts feeling like it's losing center, uh, then I think panic sets in, and you know, um, I, I I think I I stepped over that line. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, good for you. (laughs) Seriously. I mean, I I think people like you are, are kind of some of my personal heroes. I have a, I have a good friend who um, was the pastor of a church and his daughter was gay. And he just knew that someday she Mm. may ask him to perform her marriage. And sure enough, she did. (laughs) And um, he said to her, you know, this is probably going to cost me my job. And, um, mm-hmm. and it did, you know, but he, he did it anyways, wow. like his, wow. his, his, his love for her and his, he, he just felt like it was a, a quote unquote, I don't know that he would label it as a stand, but it was something that he felt he had to do, you know, and yeah, I it's like, you, it's like Martin Luther. I, 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 here I stand, I can do no other. I mean, what do you yeah. do at that point? Right. Um, yeah. and, and that's what I, I felt, too. I felt like uh, my honesty with my own theological struggles. Yeah. Uh, and I talk about this in my book, Questions Are the Answer, where mm. uh, questions, the validity of questions. And so I was asking questions and uh, 
uh, it cost me my job, you know, yeah. really, essentially it did. And, uh, yeah. you know, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of that guy too. That's quite an amazing thing. And, and you know, that's, that's what, that's kind of like what the, the kind of thing that was happening. Like, so for example, mm -hmm. um, I, a, a gay person, she, lesbian couple, she wanted to know if they were welcome at her church. I'm like, absolutely, absolutely. Please come. And at that time, you know, the vineyard wasn't affirming and now they're definitely not affirming. But um, at that time it wasn't out, um, outwardly affirming, but we, I wanted to be affirming. So I said, absolutely, please come totally welcome. And I knew most people would be okay with that. But the day when they, uh, uh, during worship, when they were standing and they held hands, I knew, oh, I knew, I knew. Okay. It's one thing to, you know, be okay. It's another thing when it's displayed and uh, I was okay, but I knew, I knew it was going to cause a lot of discussion and, rile some people up and, and so on. So, uh, and then, you know, there were people in the congregation, they knew I was very open and very uh, uh, inviting of questions. My, my sermons were often me just standing among the crowd and then having discussions and people disagreeing with me and so on. And people aren't used to that uh, with, you know, the pastor being openly challenged. And I'm, I'm all for that and uh um you know discussion and then you know there were some people who were like you know i don't think i believe in the trinity or the divinity of jesus or what you know whatever right mm -hmm. and uh i'm like oh you know okay you know yeah yeah and uh that was a problem mm. uh, and i totally understand why because <laughs> churches do have a statement of faith yeah. and if you don't abide by it then you you know you don't qualify yeah. So I totally get that. But I wanted to sort of break that tradition and, mm -hmm. you know, be a more open place where people could question and discover and explore and come to their own sense of uh, personal um, agency in their own spiritual development. Just just to go back a little bit um, right. as well, I just to hear, hear some more of your story like how did the editorial cartooning start um how did you where did the idea for that come from and okay. uh, what was the beginning like um well my cartoons are a lot better than they were <laughs> yeah um i i was uh i've always been an artist i remember even when a little kid i was drawing and stuff like that but um I always like a good cartoon. Like I, I love a good one frame cartoon, like the far side or yeah. <laughs> in the New York or magazine or whatever. I love a good one frame cartoon. Yeah. And uh, there was this one guy who was, I was following cartoonist and he was drawing cartoons on the back of business cards, actually gaping void, Hugh McLeod. And um, he's quite famous now. And uh, I, I thought, you know what, I'm going to, this was in 2005, I think. I was like, I'm going to try cartooning, see what happens. I'll, I'm going to do a cartoon every day. And I thought it would last 30 days. And here it is uh, 15 years later, and I'm still drawing cartoons every day. And wow. um, But what kept me going was I was amazed at how much traction they got. Um, oh, yeah. They 
you know, I could write a thousand word post and be all eloquent, but uh, a lot of people are like, ah, too long or ah, too boring or ah, I don't agree or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they just move on, close the page. Yeah. Uh, whereas with a cartoon in one frame, too late, you've already seen it. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a split second. You yeah. can't erase it from your brain. And uh, I just love the swift power that a good one frame cartoon has. Yeah. And um, so I, I kept it up. Yeah. It's, it's like they say a, a picture is worth a thousand words. It's I think it's really true. Like I can I can say in one frame with a cartoon, if I do a good one, uh, what it could take a thousand words to explain. And so I, I love that power. I love the yeah. ability of art to kind of bypass your intellect and even yeah. your eyeballs almost and, and go straight to the nerve. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's why I kept it up. Was there a tipping point sort of the, I'm putting on my marketing hat here. Mm. <laughs> was there, was there a tipping point where you thought, Oh, I might really have something here. Like this might really be catching on with, uh, just, I found my own style for one thing. Okay. And then, uh, like you know, with the brown heads and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, no nose and all that kind of silliness. But, uh, <laughs> it was when I started to hear from people from around the world, mm. either, uh, you know, hateful or, <laughs> or appreciative <laughs> so yeah i get all kinds of stuff man this is like amazing all I you do. I get. so i thought yeah. okay uh this is actually effective yeah i it, it's really definitely stirring stuff up yeah. so so I, I i started naming myself the graffiti artists on the walls of religion because it sort of has that you know kind of pow kind of power yeah. Uh, where you see this image, like a Banksy image on the mm -hmm. side of a building or whatever. And yeah. uh, it just immediately affects you. And you have to, it's kind of like you, it immediately reflects your response to life mm -hmm. and the issue it's talking about. You either, you either agree and you get on board or you disagree and you hate it or you mm -hmm. ignore it and hope it goes away. Yeah. And um, so my art does the same thing. It's like mm. I get a lot of people just ignore it. It goes away. A lot of people are really angry and a lot of people yeah. are like really thankful. So yeah. I just like that. You know, <laughs> I just like that effect that it has on people. It's It sounds like you have quite a thick skin to begin with, like to be able to uh, talk to your congregation the way you did. Like we, we were before we got on, we were talking about Brad Jerzak and you know, I'm amazed yeah. at, at what he posts and just the the yeah. comments and the vitriol. He he posted something the other day about Black Lives Matter and and Marxism, and man, it was like kicking a hornet's nest. <laughs> and I'm I'm sure you've had comments yeah. like that too. Do you have a pretty a pretty thick skin? Like, how do you deal with criticism? Well, you know how um, I don't know if you play guitar or you know or a little bit. You know, if, if you keep if you keep you know, punching yourself in the same place day after day after day, you develop calluses. <laughs> so, you know, I, uh, I get a lot and I've got a lot of, you know, hate for yeah. years and years and years. And what's developed though, it's not a thick skin. It's my ability to respond kindly as mm. kindly as I can to all those things. 
Uh, and especially one thing I need to remember always is uh, a lot of people where they might be coming from is where I might have been at one point. Sure. And, um, I don't mean that in a condescending way, like, you know, I've developed and moved on and I've grown and matured. And, you know, right. I don't mean it in that way. I mean, I totally get where they're coming from. Right. And so often I think, and this has proven to be true, many people who used to really hate my guts are now my best friends um, <laughs> because they, they've changed their minds, you know? And uh, yeah. um, so I, I just hope I'm in that business of changing people's minds and helping people transform and see a different side or a different perspective and mm. opening up people's hearts. And, you know, not only am I helping some people change their minds toward LGBTQ people or uh, Black Lives Matter or uh, mm -hmm. spiritual abuse victims or survivors or whatever, yeah. I'm also helping people accept themselves. So mm. when I have a when I have a, a, a draw a cartoon of a Jesus loving a gay man and mm. saying, you know, hey, everything's all right, you know, uh, don't worry about it, um, that does something to the heart of a person who feels ashamed or afraid or judged or rejected or marginalized. And so I I just love that um, about about my art. So it's like. Um, when I, I just have to put it in perspective. Yeah. So when I get a, a hate message from somebody and I do every day, I've got a whole collection. Um, <laughs> I, I used to save them in uh, a, in a file. Yeah. Uh, but I don't anymore because there's just too many. Uh, but, uh, I just remember it's about the work. Just yeah. keep helping people, just keep helping people yeah. and, um, encouraging and, educating and just do your work. And uh, I just remember that for every, you know, I, 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 I do get criticism mm. um, and pretty scary stuff sometimes, but um, you know, there's people I'm serving and benefiting from it. So it makes yeah. it worth it. Yeah. I, this is just dawning on me, but your, your art and your, comics seem to be discussion starters right like yeah, I, noticed, yeah. I noticed on your website that you're even encouraging churches to you know use some of your comics for and that for that purpose right yeah, yeah. And i love yeah. what you're saying i love what you're saying about r responding instead of reacting you know like <laughs> yeah. I, I find myself doing that on facebook i i never i try never to get into um political or religious discussions on on social media but mm. once in a while i slip like i did the other night i actually wrote something in response to what brad brad jerzak was saying and i went back and deleted it i was like what was what was i doing because i i reacted i didn't i didn't yeah. respond you know so yeah yeah that that's it's it's hard it's it, an is interesting hard. it is hard isn't it yeah because and, and another thing i've learned too is arguments useless yeah, I've discovered arguing is absolutely a waste of time, mm. and so I don't even bother. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, you don't change anybody's minds by no. arguing with them in twi on Twitter or whatever, no. right? Just yeah, no. it's yeah. useless. It's a yeah. waste, real waste of time and energy. So yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, um, if I'm if I'm doing this for for praise and glory and good feelings and all that, then you know. Uh, I think it might bother me more, but the fact that I'm, I'm really feeling like I'm serving people mm. and helping people makes it, makes it okay. makes it worthwhile. And right. so I just, I just keep pumping these things out. And I think that's one of the big 
I think that's one of the big things about naked pastures. I just won't go away. <laughs> it's like, you know, so it's, I just keep putting this art out there. Yeah. Time after time. And yeah, it's true. A lot of churches, um, I hear from small groups, contemplative mm -hmm. groups, uh, uh, Muslim groups, Interesting. Uh, different, different, uh, atheist group, different, uh, churches mm -hmm. or organizations or, uh, um, psychologists, therapists, counselors, mm. uh, coaches using an image to provoke some kind of a response or they have them hanging in their office or whatever. And yeah, discussion starters or um, some churches hang um, some of my art in their lobbies. Like, for example, I have an image of Christ series where I have Jesus in different um, um, images of, of him as a, like a refugee or a first nations person. Right. Or, uh, yeah. Or, a um, a transgender Christ I have, or yeah. a poor, a street person or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, um, those are very popular in churches. Yeah. I have a collage of all of them. Um, yeah. and, um, a lot of churches like hanging that in their lobby. And yeah, I think that's pretty cool. That's yeah. great. You know what you're making me think of is just the current what's going on in the U.S. And someone mm -hmm. just wrote a statement that, you know, no one in the Bible was white. <laughs> Everybody in the Bible was a person of a different color. But I can imagine you drawing something like that. And that yeah. would that would really get people's attention because we have, you know, then it's in there. Like you say, it's in their face. They can't unsee yeah. that a yeah. black Jesus or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you I know? have one. Uh, I have one where Jesus uh, and he's and he's brown, um, and he's uh, standing there. He's got a crown of thorns and everything. I, I use a crown of thorns on Jesus. People are like, "Why do? You, why doesn't he still have the crown of thorns on?" Well, how oh. else would you know it's Jesus? Got to have some <laughs> kind of a marking. So, um, I have the crown of thorns on Jesus almost all the time. But in this one, he's he's dark skinned and he's he's looking at a, a portrait of himself. But it's the blonde haired, blue eyed Jesus in a in a museum. <laughs> and he's looking at this painting like, hmm, <laughs> very white. But uh, yeah, it's pretty funny. Yeah. So something that I've noticed about your content lately is you've really been encouraging people to ask questions and to yeah. not be afraid to ask questions. Right. And I'm just wondering if you could just say some more about that, because um, mm. Uh, I, it, yeah, just from personal experience, you know, and growing up in the church, just, um, you, you sort of had to believe a certain way and it was almost scary for, I, I, I think it's less so now maybe, but I'm sure in certain circles it's not, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. but, um, you know, for a long time you weren't really allowed to ask questions. I love that image of you standing in the middle of your church and just letting people ask, ask you, you like that was, I can see, I can sense people's tension. Like they want. Oh yeah, it's very they want cool. Pastor David to have all the answers and say mm -hmm. this is the way it is, right? They don't want Pastor David to say, "Well, I don't really know," or "I'll have to think about that," or be open to mm -hmm. someone else's. Or what do you think? Or what do you? Oh, I, I, yeah. I had people sitting at my death as a pastor saying, "We pay you to tell us what to believe." <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Ah, well, yeah. My job. But yeah. Um, yeah, so. Questions to me are very important. I remember uh, years ago, I drew my first cartoon of uh, the question mark uh, uh, line of thinking. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so for me, the question mark stands for uh, a questioner. 
And then the exclamation mark stands for people of certainty. Mm. And um, so I, I drew this cartoon many years ago of mm. uh, uh, a bunch of exclamation marks beating up a question mark. <laughs> and uh, they've got bats and they're kicking them and he's on the ground and, and uh, just abusing the, the question mark. So, and mm. then people liked it so much. I just kept, kept going with this idea of, of the question mark and uh, the exclamation mark. And um, to the point where I actually wrote a book called questions are the answer. It's a book on Amazon if you're interested, oh, cool. but uh, it's also on Kindle, but um, yeah, for me, uh, that's been one of the key elements of my own spiritual growth is curiosity. Mm. And uh, I think as soon as you learn, uh, as soon as you uh, um, stop being curious mm. about and, and wanting to learn uh, and to kind of like um, um, uh, looking outside your own box mm. and your own world and your own conditioning. You, you've got to do that if you want to grow spiritually. Mm. Uh, if you just stick to the certitudes and the yeah. confessions and the statements of faith, you know, I know people who've lived their whole lives like that. And you know what? If that's what you want, mm -hmm. that's fine. Yeah. But you're not going to grow and expand uh, as, a, as a spiritual person. Um, uh, that's not to mean to say that you're stupid or that you're unkind or that you lack faith or any of those things. You can be a, a very fundamentalist certain person and still be a kind person and a generous person and have faith and all that. I totally believe that. But mm -hmm. if you want to grow and you you want to expand your consciousness and your soul and become a greater, uh, person, uh, I don't mean greater as in hierarchically, I mean larger, spatially. Uh, you need to ask questions. You need to be curious. You need to explore. And I remember being caught reading in a library as a pastor. I was a pastor at the time. Uh, another pastor on the same denomination catching me in the library reading a Buddhist book. And he was like, what are you reading that for? Why are you reading that? There's enough material in Christianity to read. You don't need to be reading that. And, you know, that's just the wrong thing to say. That's like a dare for me, right? So, uh, uh, but that's kind of the attitude is we we have everything you need and you shouldn't look outside of this box yeah. and outside of this world. And but we I tend think to demonize yeah. anything outside of the box as well, which is a that's great right. shame. Well, yeah. So I found, you know, even when I found my spiritual director, my first one, who was a, the Catholic nun I was telling you about, I had to sneak <laughs> there because the tensions between Catholics and Protestants were still a little bit stiff on the island at that time. <laughs> and uh, and I, I felt I had to sneak around uh, to get spiritual direction. I was I was sneaking outside of the allowed perimeters, right? And, uh, but that, if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be the person I am now. I wouldn't have grown, um, and the way I felt was, was needed and necessary and, and healthy for me at the time. Mm. Yeah. I, the but way yeah, I've, are important. Yeah. The way I've looked at it is 
you know, I, I, I had this circle and there was a lot of things within that circle and they're very foundational, but I've decided to go outside, you know, expand that circle and learn from other religions and other people and, and that kind of stuff. And like you say, it just, it makes you a sort of a greater person in a sense, more expansive. And, you know, I still, there's still things that are still foundational for me. Christians will always be my people, <laughs> uh, yeah. but there's been also some very helpful things and healing things that I have learned out, you know, by expanding that circle and, and may have, may have actually literally kind of lost my life or whatever. If I stayed within that, that yeah. smaller circle, I needed to get, I needed to get out, you know? Yeah. I, I have one story. I think you'll appreciate David. My, I have a family member and we were out for a walk and this person was, asking me almost asking for permission to to ask questions and to mm-hmm. and, and explaining that they were doubting certain things you know mm-hmm. and i don't know what inspired me but i just said go for it <laughs> i just I, I said to them i said if god is who i believe god is and is a god of love you're gonna be you're gonna be fine like just yeah. just, just go for it you know yeah and well, this person well, has done that and it's been a really quite a great it didn't have to be a great experience, but I just, it's nice that it has been a good experience for them to, to be able to do that and to have that freedom, you know, mm-hmm. to, to learn. Well, so for me, questions or curiosity expands your world. It does. So um, a very influential book in my life is a Christian classic uh, on, on faith and spiritual growth. That's called the stages of faith by James Fowler. Mm. And he talks about the different stages of faith. Well, now we don't like the, the word stages because it presumes a kind of a, a hierarchy and you look down on your former self or others who are at that stage. <laughs> I prefer now I, uh, I've come up with a, my own, I, I really struggled with this now. Now I, and, and it used to be linear where you went from A to B to C to D and, and you, you know, kind of like a snail that your trail dried up behind you. <laughs> um, but, uh, now I think of it in terms of spatially, where you you grow like this, mm. you expand and 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 you subsume or you include everything that went before. You, nothing's rejected, mm. so that when you when you question, at first you feel like you're rejecting right. your your beliefs. I like that. It's right? a really important point. I just want to reiterate that it's you're not yeah. rejecting; it's still included. Don't reject. Yeah. Anything. I exactly. always tell people, don't reject right. anything. Yeah. Just wait. Just <laughs> unless wait. it's unhealthy, unless it's really unhealthy, right? Or right. unless it's unhealthy, of course. Right. But like just wait. And as as you grow mm. spatially, these things are subsumed and, and, and you begin to understand the deeper layers and the deeper meanings. If it's true, it's true. It might yeah. not be true at this level, right? But it's true at a much deeper level. Sure. And when you and when you pull in uh people like Carl Jung and his depth psychology and dreams and self-awareness and all this. And you go deeper and deeper and deeper. You begin mm-hmm. to see that everything's connected. Yeah. Everything's connected. <laughs> and so that the, these questions actually pull you out of your very, very narrow and strict confines mm-hmm. into a, a larger world that includes those confines. But you begin to see that there's, there's so much more out there. It, it's not, it's not different. It's more of the same, but in a in a, a different expression or whatever. So, mm-hmm. for me, um, that's very important that we 
we keep in mind. And that's one of the things I'd try to help people with who are what we call deconstructing or questioning your beliefs and feel like they're losing their faith. Just hold on, fasten your seatbelt. This is going to be a rough ride. It is scary for a while. You'll get to that point where you see everything comes along with you and you yeah. can embrace it all. Sure. And um, it has a, a far deeper meaning. It, it's like it's like now when I'm reading um, Christian mystics or philosophers or quantum physicists or, or mm. you know, they all sound the same. Yeah. yeah. You know, at, the, the, at that level, at that atmosphere. Yeah. You begin to see that everything's connected and yeah. we're just using different languages to describe it. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Well, good stuff. I feel like I could talk to you forever. There's a lot of, I feel a lot of synergy with you. <laughs> and yeah, that'd be fun. I'll have similar... to come out. We'll have some beer and wine. Oh, you're, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll have some fun if I ever get out there <laughs> after the COVID. Yeah, exactly. If we can finally, finally travel. But um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for spending the, some time with me today. You've been so gracious and it was, you, it was so easy to, to uh, line up this conversation with you. You were just like, yeah, let's do this. And um, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time and I, I really appreciate what you do. And Thank you. Um, I love that you're a bit of a shit disturber. <laughs> you're, oh, man, you're, you never told me we could swear. Uh, <laughs> too late. <laughs> but, yeah. Cool. I, I, yeah. So yeah, just thank you for, for what you're awesome. doing and, and getting people to think. And, um, you know, I, I, I think there are some issues that, that we need to take a good hard look at. And, um, you're, like you say, you're not going away. You're <laughs> continuing yeah. to, to get in people's faces. And I, I really, I really long, appreciate that. As long as I have a pulse, I'll be, <laughs> I'll be here. So yeah. All thanks right. a lot, Rod. I enjoyed it. And thanks okay. everybody. Yeah. yeah.